What music has remained popular to this day since it debuted in 1742 for a charity fundraiser? Oh, that's a good one. And what holiday was once synonymous with riots, burglary, and street gangs? Not my birthday. No, no. Not, <laughs> the answer to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. <laughs> Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Okay, Marsha, let's get to that interesting question of yours there. <laughs> It is interesting. The question is, what music that debuted in 1742 for a charity fundraiser has remained popular to this day? So this is something that's still played pop, to this? And popular. <sighs> 1742, gee... My pop charts don't go back that far. <laughs> so I'll just say, what is the answer, Marsha? Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Handel's Messiah. That's it. Okay. The Oratorio debuted at a Dublin, Ireland benefit for three charities, Prisoner's Debt Relief, a charitable infirmary, and Mercer's Hospital. I knew it was in Ireland, but I didn't understand that. And okay. get this. Okay. Handel wrote it for a very small group of people, not hundreds of voices like we often hear it today. Huh. It was scored for just eight instruments and was sung by 32 people. Wow, that is amazing. That's like a yeah, normal-sized choir well, for some churches. And they wanted to get as many people in as possible, so women were encouraged not to wear those big hoop skirts <laughs> <laughs> so they could smash more people. Oh, in. really? Yeah, isn't okay. that cool? Yeah. And 700 people attended. And they took in 400 pounds for the three charities, and they were able to set free 142 indebted prisoners. Wow, what Isn't a legacy nice? that is. They paid off is. their debt. That too. is amazing. That's so they let cool. these guys, because people were thrown in prison because they were poor in England and yeah. Ireland. Just because you're poor, yeah. you were thrown in prison sometimes. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I've sung parts of the Messiah, as you know, yeah. and it's beautiful. Did you know that he wrote that entire thing in just like three to four weeks? I think 24 days. Jeez, it's amazing. I, it's gorgeous. I, I can't write a letter in that. <laughs> uh, and in fact, it's such a large composition that NPR's music expert, Miles Hoffman, estimates there are a quarter of a million notes in the Messiah. Wow. <laughs> a quarter that, With all the parts, I, it's how, a quarter. Well, yeah, How if, can that be? Well, you have parts for each orchestra, you know, instrument, uh -huh. and you have, you have parts for four, at least four, probably six voices, six different levels of voices, you know, bass, tenor, alto, soprano, and then there's other ones. So when you put all those together, and it's, I don't know how many pieces it is, how many pieces of music, it's many different scenes. That makes sense. But yeah. wow, what an accomplishment. And what a legacy Yeah, and for it's charities. Be it's beautiful. still tingles me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know this? This is a related fact, okay? Okay. At one point in history, Italian opera was illegal Why? In, in Italy. Why? Well, <laughs> well, a the, lot of people hate it, opera, period. No, so. <laughs> that, that wasn't it. Uh, opera performances in Rome were forbidden by the Pope because many operas had sexually suggestive content. Oh, yeah. That's one reason Handel's Messiah was controversial when it debuted in England. Controversial because where they debuted it, it wasn't in a cathedral, but in an auditorium where opera was performed. Okay, that's interesting. So the church frowned on performing religious works in auditoriums or music halls 
where some suggestive comedy might be performed a night later. And that's one reason Handel debuted his Messiah in Ireland, huh. to get away from the English bishops. Oh, okay. That very, makes sense. Very critical English bishops. Well, anyway, that's that's very good. Well, I've got a good one for you, too. I'll okay? be the judge, Bob, what? as I like to say. Well, yes, you do say that a lot. <laughs> All right. All right, here's mine. This holiday uh-huh. was once synonymous with riots, burglary, and street gangs. Now, I've got a hint. Not my birthday. No, no, it's not your birthday. (laughs) Although that was pretty wild at times, as I recall, back in the day. Uh, The commercialization of this holiday may have saved it from anarchy. Really? Yeah. Um, Commercialization of this wild, riotous, uh, burglary uh, street holiday. Christmas. That's exactly right. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Now, I didn't know about this. This came in an article just published the day after Christmas in the Wall Street Journal by Jason Zweig. And apparently Christmas, if not for the business of gift giving, might still be what it once was, a riotous bacchanalia. You know, wild wild parties, drinking, a time when drunken gangs brawled in the streets and sometimes bashed their way into homes demanding money and alcohol. Yeah, sounds like my family on Christmas Day. It's right. Day. Well, they still have that, that tradition, don't they? Uh, yeah, that, that was what always set your family apart in my mind. Uh, <laughs> Quiet this year, COVID put them down. <laughs> no, but seriously, according to Jason Zweig, uh, writing in the Wall Street Journal, for centuries, December was downtime for most people, and it had been that way for Europeans going all the way back to the rowdy pagan holiday Saturnalia in ancient Rome. You know, the harvest was over. Yeah, they couldn't yeah. do a lot of stuff in the winter. So when Christmas came around, hey, here's a chance to celebrate. <laughs> so get rowdy. It went off the rails. Oh. Oh. And uh, this makes sense now. This is why Puritans made it illegal to celebrate Christmas in 17th century America. It wasn't because they were killjoys. Hmm. Christmas was not like it is today. The Puritans were upset with the disorder and anarchy that surrounded Christmas. The feasting, gambling, drunken partying, that all went on at Christmas time. Wow. Well, that's... This, this was for at least three centuries in Europe. This was the tradition. No kidding. Yeah. Well, see, I never knew any of that. A historian named Steve Nissenbaum, his book, The Battle for Christmas, describes the shenanigans that once surrounded the holiday. Now, remember this. You've seen those, those great paintings of the Dutch and Flemish artists. They show drunken peasants carousing in the snow and ice with yeah. grog and everything, beer. <laughs> that, was, that was a depiction of the Christmas season wow. in those days. You could see it in plays of Shakespeare, too. You've heard of Twelfth Night? Yeah. That is a very rowdy party. Uh, it's a 1601 play about the Twelfth Night or the Last Night of Christmas. Twelfth Night is not celebrated much in Christendom today, but it was in Elizabethan England, and these weren't your grandma's Christmas parties. <laughs> They were raucous, noisy events full of drinking, mischief-making. One tradition was cross-dressing, men dressing up as women, women dressing up as men. And in Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, cross-dressing characters binge on Christmas cakes and ale. So over time, until the late 1800s, Christmas was synonymous with carousing and drunkenness. Now, one more thing on this, okay. You know the term Merry Christmas? Yeah. That was not a good term years ago. Because Merry once meant drinking. Huh? Be darn. Make Merry. So what changed all this? Um, what changed it this? It wasn't prohibition. <laughs> no, it wasn't prohibition. This is a unique a, a, a way to look at it because we all think of Christmas being over-commercialized, right? Uh-huh. But these historians are saying, no, it was the commercialization of Christmas that saved Christmas. Santa Claus, all of these traditions came in of gift-giving, not gift-taking, not people coming into your apartment and you know knocking things around and stealing your alcohol. 
You notice in uh, The Night Before Christmas, the narrator said, of Santa, I had nothing to dread. That reflected the fact that at Christmas, people in the streets used to break into houses. But even though Santa broke into his house, he had nothing to dread. And at the end of that poem, he didn't say Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. He said Happy Christmas, again, because Merry was a negative term. So these people all say that the commercialization of Christmas, gift-giving, stores starting to have their Christmas hours at night, all the mobs and the crazy people went away, and then the advertisers and the newspapers all promoted it because everybody wanted to get rid of all this violence at Christmas time. What about churches? Churches wanted to get rid of the violence at Christmas well, time, course, too. They were broken into by the thugs as well. Good heavens. Okay, staying with the happiness theme, Bob. <laughs> Science shows that happiness and music are, can be very closely linked. Happiness actually makes your brain work better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, in 2015, a neuroscientist identified the top happiest tunes. Dr. Jacob Jolie put together through algorithms what makes a happy song. And uh, so he found the neuroscientist that the happiest tunes are slightly faster than your average song. Okay. And they're written in a major key. Mm -hmm. And they're usually and often about happy events or Complete nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are some examples? Well, Don't Stop Me Now, Queen. Okay. Dancing Queen, number two. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good Vibrations. Oh, the Beach Boys, Beach right, Boy. right. Uptown Girl. Okay. High energy, fun songs. Yeah. But... Eye of the Tiger. Okay. I'm a Believer, the Monkeys. Oh, then I saw her face. Yeah. yeah. Girls Just Want to Have Fun. That's a, That makes Cindy, sense. Cindy Lauper, mm -hmm. Living on a Prayer. Bon Jovi, okay. Uh, I Will Survive. Gloria Gaynor, and number 10, Walking on Sunshine. I always liked that one. Yeah, Who did too. that one? Katrina and the Waves. Yes. Must have been their big hit. It was their big hit. In fact, I looked them up recently because that song came up. I thought, whatever happened? Who are these people that did this? Because I was in radio at the time. I remember playing that, but I can't remember who did it. Yeah, I couldn't either. And uh, But these are all songs we know, and yeah. they do make you happy. Okay, what did the American Dialect Society choose as the word of the year for 2020? Oh, that's good. Now, uh, we, we've had all these lists recently of things that happened in 2020, things that went wrong, things that went right. What was the word of the year in 2020, according to the American Dialect Society? They've been doing this for 30 years. So is it a, has something to do with dialect? It's or? just the word that they all said right. really symbolized the year more than anything, or was unique. I know what I'd say. What? Misinformation. Oh, <laughs> that's true. It was big. Yeah, but... But, but uh, the answer is actually COVID, COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. That word didn't even exist until February really? 11th Jeez. of 2019. That's when the World Health Organization announced the name of the disease caused by the novel coronavirus. COVID-19 had other competition. There was doom scrolling, obsessing over news <laughs> online. Another was trolling the, was big. Another was Blur's Day, describing how days seem to blend into each other during the lockdown. All right, now here's the question we've all forgotten the answer to. What does COVID nineteen stand for? It's actually an acronym. Oh gosh. I have no remembrance. <laughs> it's less complicated than you think. It's coronavirus disease twenty nineteen. C O from Corona, V I from virus, D from disease. And 19 for the year 2019 when it first appeared. And, of course, people have shortened it even more to COVID, Corona, and the Rona. <laughs> okay. So that's all. From the American Dialect Society, the slang word of the year was Rona.
But the official word of the year was COVID-19. I'll be darned. Bob, do you know who Frederick J. Bauer is? Frederick J. Bauer. Bauer, no. Well, his claim to fame was his design of the Pringles potato chip cylinder. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, he died in 2008 at the age of 89. And you think you can tell me what was unusual about his burial? He was buried in a Pringles container. Ta-da! <laughs> was he ashes turned into ashes yeah, and they yeah. put Oh, dear God. A portion of him was put into a Pringle can by his request and buried. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I told you it was his big claim to fame. That's an interesting one. All right, yeah. now I've got a presidential question for you. Yep. What president and his wife are credited with popularizing a famous dessert? Ah. Uh, very early president. Was and it his a wife. bananas Foster thing? No, no. That no. you're on the right track. Though. Yeah, it was. Uh, it seems to me there's something in the archives of my memory about where would that be, Marsh? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be in another room. In my brain, in, in another brain. room. Yeah, about uh, a chef being all excited because they were there and he had to whip up something out of nothing. Oh, that's a good guess, but no, that's not okay, what I Okay, then have. I don't know. Well, it's James and Dolly Madison. Uh-huh. They love something new called ice cream. Oh, okay. They loved it so much, they had an ice cream house built on the grounds of their Montpelier estate. An ice cream house? Yeah, a place that ice cream was made. That way they could enjoy ice cream and ice drinks all summer long. A place to store ice cream and make ice cream. Were they both a bit chubby? I don't know. <laughs> And they also served ice cream at official government functions in the White House. <laughs> so they are responsible well, for popularizing ice yeah. cream. All right, Bob, quick question. Who sang backup in Carly Simon's You're So Vain? Um, Mick Jagger. Oh, how did you know Well, that, that was a famous thing. And then it was funny because a lot of people thought the song was about him. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was about... Warren Beatty. That's correct, too. Boy, all right. You got me on this one. Okay, time for a break now. Okay. All right. Uh, You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back, and you're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. All right. By now, everybody knows the name Zoom. Zoom, which was an obscure video call company. It grew lightning fast in 2020. How fast did Zoom grow? Any idea? I'll say from uh, February to June, 2,000%. Well, that's pretty good. Here's Remember, here in the United States, everything seemed to shut down on March 11th. Uh-huh. That's the week the National Basketball Association suspended its play. Yeah, that's its, right. It was its March. Play. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks and his wife yeah. got, got yeah. COVID. Yeah. And then the White House declared a national emergency. Before that, Zoom had 10 million users a day in December 2019. Uh-huh. It jumped from 10 million a day to more than 300 million a day by the end of March. By the end uh, of March. By the end of March wow. in 2020. Okay, yeah, I didn't. I that's, underestimated. That's how fast that technology grew. Okay. I got another business that zoomed to success in 2020. (laughs) What was that, Bob? All right. At one point, it was 100,000 orders behind in production of its most (sighs) expensive products. I should know. I should know this. I think I do. What company is it? What is it? It's Peloton. Really? The home fitness company. And those are expensive. Yeah. It enjoyed a 172% revenue increase between April and July compared to a year earlier. And by July, it had so much demand after COVID shut down gyms and fitness centers, it was 100,000 exercise bikes behind in production. Wow. Now, the company did really good last year. They ended up with a... uh, 
Market value of $47 billion. They are worth more than the Ford Motor Company now. I didn't know this. They have two lines of bikes. One, they call it connected. They're called the connected exercise. You you work out with somebody. With trainers and with other users. Then the other one, necessarily. You flail around by yourself. Kind of like you and I. We flail by ourselves. (laughs) All right. Courtesy of Christmas books from you and our children. I have a few fun things. Fast fun facts. Okay. Out of every four Americans, Bob, how many have appeared on television? Wow, this is like that question we had about how many people, what percentage of people have uh, taken a plane ride. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. How many? It'd be one, one two, out of four? three, or four? I'd say less than one in four. I'd say maybe, well, 25%. That's pretty high. Yeah, one in every four has appeared on television. Television at one time Isn't or another. Isn't that amazing? Now, we're not talking about stars, but maybe yeah, you were just, in a news well, story. Look at, or... look at look, right here, you and me. We've both been on television. Yeah. You know. Not in a big way, but we have been on it, so that's not surprising. We have faces for radio, that's why. Who was the first? <laughs> Pardon me? I'm just uh, kidding. I have a face for radio. You you obviously should be on television more <laughs> frequently. Okay. Who was the first non-human to win an Oscar? Rin Tin Tin? No. Mickey Mouse. You got it. Okay. Okay, you know how you are a, a magnet for any animal that lives out in nature. <laughs> we're, and we're not speaking in positive terms here. No. <laughs> I attract all kinds so, of parasites. Yes, including me. So so here's the question, and you should keep this in mind. Mosquitoes are more attracted to what color than any other color? Probably red. No. What? Your favorite color. Well, red is my favorite color. I thought blue was. No. Oh, it's blue. <laughs> So you I'll don't start, wear I've got to wear more red than I used to. <laughs> yes, and I'll be happy about it. Yes. Okay, I have not a presidential question. What president attended Napoleon's coronation? Did you know that a future president attended Napoleon's coronation? Jeez, <sighs> all right. I don't know. What are we talking this about? This is 1804. Oh, okay. So, I'll, I, Harrison. No. I have no idea. No, we're talking way back. James Monroe and oh, his wife, gonna... Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Now, Monroe wasn't president at the time. He was the American ambassador to the UK when the Monroes attended Napoleon's coronation at Notre Dame Cathedral in 1804. He also helped negotiate the Louisiana Purchase from Napoleon. Okay. You know how you love bees, Bobby. I don't love bees. <laughs> These are some of those insects that I don't... These are more of nature that so, I attract. How many flowers do they have to visit for... A spoonful of honey. How many flowers do they have to visit yeah. in order to get well, enough pollen? Think about that. You love honey, but bees can kill you. That's right. <laughs> Interesting paradox. It is. It's sort of like women have been that way in my life in the past <laughs> before I met you. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> All right. How many? I don't know, Marsh. How many? Bees must visit around 5,000 flowers to get a spoonful of honey to make a spoonful of Holy honey. Holy cow. Well, that's why it requires a whole colony of bees in yeah, order to do this. Yeah, and that's wow. why it's, uh, and usually, you know, pure honey ain't cheap. No, no, raw honey is not cheap. Huh? 5,000 flowers. Oh. Holy cow. Yeah. Okay, here is a uh, question about a word that we heard every once in a while in 2020. The word loot, when we heard about people yeah. rioting. Yeah. What are the origins of the word loot? Loot. Oh, it was a... Uh, I don't know. It comes from India. In the language of Hindi, known in colonial times as Hindustani, loot, spelled L-U-T, referred to spoils of war. Now, eventually, the 
The Indians did not like the British, of course, and they started calling the British looters. You're looting our culture, you know. Another word that is used when we always hear politicians talk about the thugs, you know, thugs is another term. That also came from India. The British accused members of the thuggy cult of being highway robbers, and the shorthand for those individuals became thugs. And they're both used today in contexts of people taking advantage of chaotic situations. Speaking of rats... What? Yeah. How long? How many days can they tread water without stopping? Rats. <laughs> this is from my Christmas book, the totally awesome book of useless information. You know, that's interesting because rats live in sewers, don't they? And sewers uh, are full of water. I had no idea they could even tread water for more than swim. a couple of minutes. No, tell me. They can tread water for three days without stopping. Holy cow! Ah, which means they can survive a lot. Okay, one other quick one. What's the most shoplifted book in America? The most shoplifted? Is it the Bible? Yes. It's stolen more than any other book. <laughs> yeah. Say, I've got some other things that changed in 2020 because people had to depend more on the web instead of doing things in person. So let me ask you some questions. Sure. How many more people took advantage of the web to see therapists than before? Oh, I'll bet What a percentage lot. went up? I'll say 27%. The American Psychiatric Association said the percentage of patients regularly using telehealth with a professional went from 2.1% to 84.7%. Oh, my 84.7% by the summer. Wow, that's huge. Field trips went online. Do you know you can have a field trip and you can go to gee, museums? You could chat with rangers at Denali National Park. And you can go on a 360-degree exploration of Mars via NASA's Curiosity rover. That's oh, a field trip. Oh, that'd be cool. What's the percentage of increase of people who started dating via uh, the web? I'll say 85%. It's probably there because Bumble alone said they had a 70% increase in video chats among daters. And Hinge is another service. Yeah. They reported 44% of its users had gone to video dating. Thank God it exists. Yeah. You know, and our children use it too. Yeah. All right. What's the most commonly used word in the English language? Run, I thought was the most commonly used words. Really? Years ago. Run, yeah. No. No? No. What? I. Oh, I is in <laughs> me. I. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That says something about <laughs> society, doesn't it? Did you know pearls melt in vinegar? No. I didn't either. That's another factoid you have there. <laughs> We've got some good Christmas books there. Oh. I have a, another couple of things that uh, changed in 2020. Delivery by Grubhub brands increased by what percent? Oh, gosh. That's another way up Door there. Door-to-door kind of stuff, I right? know. Yeah, Grubhub. I'll say 77.5%. Now, I would have thought that, too. And maybe overall it was that. But Grubhub, their brands increased by 32%. But interestingly... They had one particular sandwich. It was particularly popular. It shot up 300% compared to 2019. Really? One particular, like a uh, like a submarine or something? Spicy or a... chicken sandwich. Really? Yeah. They... For some reason, that's one of theirs, and it shot to 300% isn't, over the previous year. Isn't that interesting? So, But what was the top search term on Grubhub in 2020? Something near and dear to your heart. Uh, your dear, your taste buds, pastrami, your palate, your corned beef, salami, wine. Oh, <laughs> wine I've was heard number of one. That. You've uh, heard of that? Wow. So people were okay. Can you have wine delivered by Grubhub? Yeah. Don't they have to know how old you are? Well, I think if you just say hello, <laughs> like I do. Yeah, I'm oh. sure you have to have some kind of ID when you when you get there. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah I know. would imagine that works. I I never thought of ordering wine on online. And then ebook sales increased by as much as thirty nine percent. And uh, there was a one hundred thirty two point five percent increase in the sales of children's and young adult titles, and borrowing ebooks through libraries via Kindle or other reading apps went up fifty two percent in twenty twenty. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. I'll give you two factoids and then a question. Okay. Okay. I sent this one to our daughter this morning because she collects these. 4,000 people are injured by teapots every year. What? <laughs> 4,000? So people actually pick up and throw teapots at know, people? I don't know, but I, it doesn't explain, Bob, why they're injured by teapots. They just are. And she collects teapots, little teapots. I didn't, I didn't know that Chelsea collected teapots. Yeah, she's got little china ones from her grandmas and okay. all that. Yeah, okay. that's kind of cute. And... That's uh, 4,000, but 40,000 Americans are injured every year. <laughs> what? By toilets. <laughs> <laughs> that toilet just reached out and attacked me. So they got a picture with this potty posse. So they got a teapot and a toilet uh, picture. Oh, dude, very dangerous. <laughs> Anything made of ceramic, apparently, is dangerous Oh, for my you. gosh. Okay, go okay, ahead. Okay, now I have two more things that occurred that changed in, uh, actually, in uh, 2020. Connected TV viewing, that's viewing using streaming services, you know, like HBO Max, uh, uh-huh. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney. That went up what percentage over 2019? Boy, you're just full of percentages. Well, it's kind time. of interesting, all uh, the changes all the that changes. occurred in one okay. year. Okay, uh, I'll say... Uh, Overall, streaming th- viewing went up... 500%. 82%. Oh. 82%. <laughs> I guess actually. I was off a little. And sales of bigger TVs at 65 inches and up soared 77% just between April and June. What age, Bob, is the human brain become fully developed? I think it's actually when you're pretty young, isn't it? When you're like uh, 18 or 22? little older. Oh, really? What is yeah, it? It's 25. 25. Yes. Adult and teen brains work differently. Adults think with their, predominantly, their prefrontal cortex. Well, boys don't. Uh, no, they come in, we all know <laughs> they think with that other is things. correct. Yeah, okay. 25, they say, adults are fully developed brain-wise. Okay, I've got some puns to wrap things up, because you always usually do something fun. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> if I said venison for dinner, what would you say? Oh, dear. Exactly. <laughs> How does Moses make tea? I don't know. He brews it. He brews. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Uh, all right. So this came from Mitchell Smith, one of our friends here. I changed my iPod's name to Titanic. It sinks now. <laughs> and jokes about German sausage are just the worst. <laughs> yes, that, the that's worst. an old one. Okay, good. I'll finish with a... Uh, you know, a New Year kind of quote. I've got two of them. C.S. Lewis. Okay. You are never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. And here, closing out the year with Alfred Lord Tennyson. Ring out the old, ring in the new, ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going, let him go. Ring out the false, ring in the true. Great words for ringing in the new year, and that's what we hope you're doing right now. We hope you join us next time for more here on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.